I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. If you need help building your online presence with podcasts, live streams or recorded video, see how I could help at educationonfire.com forward slash media. That's educationonfire.com forward slash media. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to everyone who's been in touch about wanting to be a guest on the show or people that have got in touch and said that they're really enjoying the show. I'm pleased to say that having just released our autumn recording schedule, we've got some amazing people that have already signed up to be on the show. Takes us all the way into 2024 with some amazing people, amazing topics, amazing information that we're going to be able to share. So yeah, thank you so much for your continual support and feedback and I really hope you enjoy the shows that we've got planned for you. Now today I'm delighted to be joined by Janine Mouchoir and she's a life coach for parents of teens. She helps make parenting easier by teaching new communication strategies that stop the battles and create a calm, peaceful home. Parents learn how to teach their teens cooperation, responsibility and critical life skills to empower them for success. In the process they create the positive, meaningful relationships they always imagined. Janine earned her MBA at Stanford University and is a certified professional life coach. Janine is married and now has three adult children. A couple of key takeaways for me with the fact that as parents, we sort of learn how to parent mainly um, by experience and we form really good patterns of how to do that when our children are young. And we have a great conversation here about how that needs to change and morph slightly as our children get older. They have different needs and need a different way of communication. And I think that was a, a fascinating insight for me, certainly as a parent myself. And also the fact that, of course, our extended families are no longer necessarily on our doorstep. So the conversations that we're having as we're growing as parents ourselves are obviously slightly different. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Janine Mouchoir. Hi, Janine. Thank you so much for being a guest here on the Education on Fire podcast. One of the things I wanted to sort of just put to bed, shall we, as we start, when people hear life coach and then they're, well, what does that mean? How does that work? And then specifically when you're talking about teens or parents or family, and my initial thought is always it's about life generally. And then from there, it's just about working out what that is. But give us sort of your definition and experience of, of what that means for you. Yeah, I think of it kind of as, you know, a life coach, I think the best analogy is when you think about, um, and I've got Olympians in my family, kind of crazy story, but, you know, they always have had a coach to take them from being good to great. And I think of life coaching the same way. It's like your life is going pretty good, but you see areas in it that you know could be better. And you feel like empowered to make those kinds of changes and, and work at it to make that happen. So that's kind of how I think about it. And I think for me, what always strikes a chord with that is we talk about people 
recreating the same patterns of what they've learned and what they've experienced as they're going through. So the first part of it, I guess, is that awareness of kind of, I know I don't want to recreate maybe something I've experienced before. I want it to be different. But then how do you know what that different is? If, like I say, it's if you've never been taught or you've never had those conversations in the same way. Yeah, I, I want to play football, but I'm never going to be taught by anyone to know how to kick the ball or whatever that happens to be. It's a no-brainer, like you say, on that maybe the sports side or the academic side. But on the life side, you're just expected to kind of do this stuff. Yeah, and, and that, yeah, I think that's such a shame too because I do feel like our culture just expects all of us to know how to parent teenagers. And what I found is there's not a lot of resources out there and we don't have any experience doing this. There's a lot of support and resources when you're parenting the younger age, but when when my three became teenagers, I found that there just wasn't the resources out there that I was looking for. And I just got kind of tired of having arguments and battles all the time and tension. And I just thought, you know, there's got to be a better way here. And, you know, as I kind of navigated through it, I happened into um, coaching and thought, oh, (laughs) this is really interesting. Um, And then to combine that with going back and getting some like education on parenting teens just felt like a really sweet spot in a way to help other parents who are going through what I had gone through, where you feel like, I know things can be better, but I just don't have the resources to, to get there. I don't have the knowledge on, on how to make that happen. Um, so yeah, I kind of think of it as, you know, if you're feeling like, okay, our home life could be better, you go find somebody to partner with you and help you create what you're really looking for. You know, that life I think we always assumed when the kids were younger would be really enjoyable, the teenage years. And and we deserve that. And do you think we've sort of got to this sort of point sort of socially now because we're no longer living in extended families in the same way. Everything is sort of sort of focused away from the family often. And and so that learns experience or, or having elders around to kind of just sort of calm the waters a little bit. I mean, I certainly felt talking about sort of younger children, you know, having my parents around when you're like, I've got this small thing in now that I'm looking after and I'm not quite sure. And they're able to kind of do that. That's okay. We can show you this and we can share and, and that kind of thing, which like I say changes when they get to, to being teenagers, but it's that kind of sort of multi-generational support, I guess, which helps, but we don't necessarily live down the road from our parents anymore in the same community. It's, it's a, it's a different world. I wonder if that's sort of a key aspect. I mean, I think you hit on one of them for sure. Um, I think that you're right that we used to live more in community. And now, you know, that community included relatives and that support system. Most of us now don't have that. And um, I'm not sure about where you live, but where I live, there's not a lot of sharing of struggles with one another. And so you feel very alone and helpless is I know that's how I felt, and I know a lot of my clients feel the same way. People just aren't as willing to be vulnerable and transparent about how hard it is to parent teenagers. And so I think the combination of that aloneness that you were describing where you might not have the support of other family members around or grandparents combined with this is just a different culture our kids are growing up in than we grew up in. 
And you know, I do believe technology plays a big part of that. And we have no experience on how to parent with children who are growing up in today's world with tech and social media and apps and all of that in front of their face all the time. And and that was going to be an important part, I think, of, of what my... Th- what my thoughts were and where we were going to take that conversation is, you know, what is it that sort of makes parenting a teen difficult or what are the struggles for that? And, and as you said, you know, is it, it is obviously different now, but is it a a new version of the same things that do you think, or do you think it is the fact that because of social media and all those things, it's, it's a completely unknown, which is making it sort of even worse than it probably felt for maybe the generation before. Yeah. Oh, I love that question. I think it's twofold. I think it's both. Um, I think the underlying issue that's going on is that our teens, we know so easily, it's right in front of us, are going through this huge transition. And so where I think there's a gap is we, we see them going through a transition, but we don't realize that means our parenting needs to transition as well. And so what I find is that most people, including myself, you know, we parented one way when they were young with providing advice and knowledge and wisdom. And that's what our kids wanted when they were young and, and they loved it. We got rewarded for that. And so as we got positive feedback, it got wired into our brains, into our nervous systems to communicate that way. But when the, now that they're teenagers, they don't want our advice and wisdom anymore, right? They think we know nothing and they want to figure it out themselves. And so what I find that the underlying problem is that we need to learn how to communicate differently with our teenagers and start really um, giving them what they need as a teenager because that's different than what they needed when they were younger. So I, I think that is probably the lion's share of what's going on. Um, in addition, it's what we talked to uh, talked about previously which is, I think we're, it's extra challenging having our kids. So most of them are quite addicted to tech. Um, you know, they're, they have to use it for school. Like we never did that. <laughs> and then the social media apps are wired to keep us addicted and keep us in. And so I don't know about you, but, you know, for me and most parents I talk to, we have problems monitoring how much social media we take in. Like it takes a lot of self-restraint and control and awareness to be like, oh, wait, this isn't serving me anymore. I need to to shut this off, you know, or create limits or boundaries around it. Um, And our teens just weren't taught, nor were we confronted with how to do this. And so a lot of what we talk about is just increasing our awareness around, hey, for ourselves, at what point is this not serving us? Do we not feel good anymore using the apps? And the same really applies to our teenagers is starting that dialogue with them. Um, Okay, so 
when you've been on, you know, TikTok for four hours watching people do their makeup and how to do their hair and how to dress, like, are you feeling really self-confident about yourself and really good about yourself? Or are you feeling like not so great and like you're not pretty enough and, you know, you don't have the right clothes or the right hairstyle? And so kind of that's sort of a piece of what we work on in life coaching together, parent coaching. Um, is how to handle the tech and build that awareness for our child so that they can learn how to self-regulate and um, monitor their use as well, where they realize they're doing it so it benefits them. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and, I, and the, the transition you talk about from sort of younger children into teens, like there are a couple of things that just sort of struck me there. One is the, like you say, where you have the influence and when you don't. And I, I think certainly for us as parents, we sort of had that, some of the things you can control, some of them you can't, but the 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 fabric of what their lives look like that transition out of you're going to do this club that club because you seem to enjoy it it's fine into that oh, i'm not so bothered about learning any clubs or taking any extra things well what do you like to do what's maybe the one or two things that you can dive into a bit deeper and get better at which then gives you a different focus a different priority a different skill set that you can sort of transition to before they get to the age where it's kind of well you know you're now at a position where you can decide what you want to do or not or not kind of do in that transition but I really loved what you said about our training as parents because I'd never thought about it in that kind of way I've been trained to deal with my children this way from a purely kind of emotional way because I get back what I've given out in that kind of I've talked this way I've been a parent this way and I know that works because I've got all this love unconditional love back in their chatting and they're playing we're doing all of that and you have to kind of forgive yourself for not wanting to keep doing the same thing because they've moved on. But I can now understand why as a parent you might not move on without being really aware, as you sort of such the key word that you mentioned there. I need to transition out of that. I need to do that differently. And and I'm curious about how what that transition looks like and how you kind of do that smoothly or whether there is a bit more of a, a switch, which I think as parents we kind of know there is that there seems to be a switch emotionally and and physically sometimes when you sort of hit a certain point. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I love what you said, because I think it is so important to first and foremost have compassion for ourselves that of course we're still showing up the same way because it worked, right? And, and, and we had to control their, their life. Like that was, they relied on us for safety and for moving the ball forward. And um, yeah, so it's just inevitable that that got like those, those, neuro, those neural pathways got built in our brain and that emotion in our body got ingrained. Um, so just, yeah, I love that. Just first and foremost is to have some compassion that, of course, we're still showing up the same way, maybe trying to fix things or give our advice or control things a little more. It, our intention behind it is to help them, but they're not receiving, they're not receiving the information that way anymore. So one of the first things I work on with clients is I teach them five foundational steps to start shifting how they communicate, to start learning a new way to talk to their teenager. 
So would you like to hear about yeah, let's, that? Let, let's go into that. And, and just, bef- just before you do it, only because I'll forget if I don't mention it now. Yeah, tell me. Th- that transition, we, we were talking before about, you know, children being older and leaving home and or in a different stage of their life. And I just struck me then, if we think about that in the same way, we feel it directly then because they were here and now they're not. And we're still parents and we're still providing, like you say, in a slightly different way, but as we need to. But that seems much easier to understand because they're physically not here anymore. They've moved out. They've gone to university, college, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, that transition into teenagerhood is as dramatic but we just happen to still be under the same roof and and so therefore it, it makes it makes sense that those lines get blurred in that same corner anyway it just struck me that it, it's, yeah. it's so chalk and cheese but just in a in a that, just no, that we different time scale. Yeah. yeah about that earlier i love that analogy and you know frankly I coach parents of teens, preteens, and parents of young adults because it's the same. It's it's the same communication tools apply. Um, it's just as they get older, we're releasing more and more of the control and helping them, you know, solve for their own problems them, themselves. And you're right. Once they head to college, it's it's a slap in the face in essence, where we're like, oh wow, we we really have little or no control over what's going on because they don't live with us anymore. And yet I think so many of us still stay stuck in that these are our, you know, expectations and why aren't you doing this? And this is the way you need to do it. And um, yeah, it just gets even tougher when they head off to college if you're still communicating as a parent the, the way you did when they were little. Yeah. So take us into into those five things, and that I just stopped you off in the, in the middle of your yeah, middle yeah. of your track there. But I think I no, think that's no, going to be really it. really helpful. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing we work on is kind of what we touched on earlier. It's all about managing your emotions before you start and engage in a conversation with them. And what we touched on earlier was first just having some compassion for ourselves. Like, hey, you know, this is hard. (laughs) Um, When we see behavior in our teens that's alarming or scary or worrisome, of course, we're going to feel triggered and rely on what worked in the past. And so it's just sort of taking the time to realize, okay, oh boy, I'm, I'm, you know, feeling triggered right now, whether that's with fear or with worry or with frustration or anger, and to slow the process down and don't engage in a conversation when you've got your emotions are flying high. Because when you do, it pushes your teenager or young adult away, right? It's like they don't want to engage with you because they can feel that energy coming off of you. You know, it's like if your spouse walks in the door from work, they don't have to say anything. And you can feel like, oh, did they have a good day? Oh, they seem angry, right? They don't even have to open their mouth. Well, the same is true with our children, especially in the teenage years. You just open the door to their bedroom and they can feel if you're angry. And if they feel that anger coming off of you, they often are anticipating they're going to get punished. And so they're going to throw their wall up or yell, get out of my room, Right. Or if you walk in um, because you're worried about something that might happen. Well, the teenage brain usually isn't worried about that. (laughs) So, again, it's like um, your energy is like repelling them. 
So the first thing we work on is managing your own emotions and feelings. What, what are you thinking about their behavior right now that's causing you to worry or to get angry? And to do kind of a self-check-in before you start the conversation. Because what I see is so many parents just can't engage with their kids at all if they don't do this first because their kids are, like I said, it, it's repelling them. And so if you are frustrated that your child won't change their behavior and they won't cooperate, they won't do quote unquote the right thing, you know, you got to back it all up and first work on engaging and connecting with them before you try to jump to changing their behavior or getting them to cooperate. And again, just back to what we talked about earlier, when they were young, we could, we, we already had the engagement and the connection going when they're little, so we could jump to the cooperation and, and, and helping them with the behavior. But now that they're teenagers, we don't always automatically have that connection and engagement because they're naturally trying to break away from us. And so we have to back it up and start there, start with engaging and connecting with them, which leads to helping them make better choices when we're concerned about the choices that they're making. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess that's where I'm, I'm sort of imagining that kind of transition, because when you're aware of this, like say when they're younger, you've got all the all the control because that's just the way it is. And understanding that you already have the skills, but you're just going to morph it slightly as you as they get older, because what you're relating to and what you're sharing might be less but it might be just slightly more adult or it might be less time, but it's slightly focused in a different way. But you don't have that. We used to do this and now we're doing this because that's like being a different person and what they need is that continual support. And I guess that awareness of knowing that we can use what we had, but I'm going to frame it differently or I'm going to, you know, have that relationship in a slightly different way. Then that way, like you're saying, the conversations that you're having aren't the kind of I need you to do this because your behavior is not okay because you've still got some of these other these other conversations and activities or whatever it looks like happening as well so it's not a it's not all or nothing or all or nothing <laughs> whichever way it, um, in, yeah. in terms in terms of making that happen oh, I love that I think a lot of us parents get stuck in that all or nothing pattern um, because again it's kind of that's kind of how it worked when they were younger. But when we apply that all or nothing philosophy to teenagers, it really gets us into trouble. So we, we want to, you know, you know, try to look at things not so black and white, not so, you know, oh, they're always lazy, right? Or they're never kind to their sibling. And to try to take those um, words out of our vocabulary um, and out of our thinking, and 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 allow for some some nuance in the middle yeah absolutely and i know one of the things we always kind of spoke about as they got older and, and there's more flexibility and more space was that kind of they have to learn in their own way we can provide advice like you say doesn't necessarily work but you know kind of help shape or whatever however you want to describe that in terms of being the we're still the experienced adults even though they got their take on everything and that sort of thing but just having that kind of soft landing we know that even if it all goes wrong whatever that happens to be or your perception of that there's still a soft landing there somewhere we're still going to be here we're still going to be able to give them that kind of well 
we've learned something there all of us and now we can sort of rebuild from that you didn't fall right to the bottom of the canyon and it can't be fixed or whatever it happens to be but we're, we're kind of growing together and i think then that way you kind of feel like no matter what you're doing even if you kind of feel like you're failing all the time if you kind of like you say i'm aware of this and yet i've still had this conversation or i've thought this but i've still gone down that road because that's my natural reaction whatever it happens to be mm-hmm. you're all you're only going to go so far before you can then kind of morph that and and, and sort of grow each time yeah i mean i think that's so beautiful and that's exactly what we work on together in coaching is creating that like you were saying soft landing or what i call like a safe space right we we want to create an environment with our teenagers where we they feel comfortable coming to us and sharing like if they're embarrassed or they're humiliated or they feel like they're not smart enough and if we're constantly um, trying to control them and tell them what to do, they, you know, they don't feel that safe space with us. And so you're right. It, it, we're still, um, there, there's still an element of giving advice, but it's the way we communicate our advice that needs to change. It's gotta be more from a leadership role, um, versus like a hands-on manager, like sometimes yeah. they use the analogy of, you know, you've been promoted to CEO. You, you're no longer a mid-level manager <laughs> like you were when they were younger, where you really had to be hands-on and directing things. You know, now it's, it's your turn to be more of the CEO and take more of a leadership role. And instead of trying to make them do something, it's more, how can I teach them? How can I motivate them? How can I guide them? How can I mentor them? Um, and that requires us to change how we speak to them. Yeah. And and I think when you can give yourself that grace to be able to do it, they so often just surprise you, don't they? It's like, wow, you've you kind of knew this, you've got it, you you're I can see you maturing into that way, but you you, you need that environment for that to happen and to allow it to to blossom so that they feel like they can do it without it being too much under the spotlight which is one of the things isn't it you know i just don't need you to be looking everywhere or seeing what's going on and uh yeah really really yeah. really fascinating oh yeah that's so true where have we got to in terms of your your steps as it were oh <laughs> uh, well wait our conversation kind of led to actually all, the, the neck all four of the next ones a, a jumble of it which is fine that's not a problem um but basically steps two and three are kind of combined together steps two is when you're you know after you've calmed down which we talked about step one and resisted their urge to just <laughs> start a fiery conversation in the moment um you want to approach them with a way where you're starting the conversation, just stating the facts from a very neutral place, you know, to really try to tone down any tone or judgment. So, you know, let's say they got a terrible grade on a test. In America, we would call that a D or an F, right? You know, instead of like charging in your room, what what happened? What, you know, what were you thinking? Why did you get a D on the, right? All fiery and angry. We want to approach them more just calm and stating the facts, which is something like, hey, I, you know, I noticed you got a D on the test. What happened? Right, so that step two is just stating your observation without all of your fiery emotions behind it, right? Because we're trying to get, we're trying to engage them and invite them into a conversation so we can find out 
well, what's really going on? And then the step three is to ask a curious question. You know, like I said, it was what I, the example I just used was like, oh, you know, what happened? Because we're trying to figure out if we really want to help them. Gosh, okay, wait, they're not doing well in this subject. I wonder what's going on. And when you when you're thinking that and coming from that perspective, I wonder what's going on. That's very different than where I think most parents' default is. I know I used to be this way. Is oh, I know exactly why you got a D on the test. You know, you were busy over there playing video games for hours and you never took your book out to study, <laughs> right? I mean, usually that's where our parent uh, mind goes is, uh, it, you know, that's kind of the narrative that starts playing. Um, but it, so it's really, it's a, it's a new type of practice of telling ourselves, okay, we really don't know what is going on and, and why they're doing poorly on this test. And so I'm going to go on a little scavenger hunt to find out from really a place of curiosity and compassion. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I, I completely agree that it's it just finding out those things. because And like you say, there's probably an element of truth in both sides of that equation. It may well be that they were doing video games and you can say, but you haven't done enough enough study in that particular thing. The question is, why haven't they done enough study? And what you don't know is the fact they did two hours extra at school because there was a, suddenly a free period which you didn't know about. So the video games were there to kind of give them a bit of a break. Like you say, until, you, exactly. until you're in that position to have that conversation, you're not going to know that. And so coming at it, like you say, full bore doesn't necessarily even get you the answer let alone give you the knowledge that you need like you say to make that sort of next conversational extra bit of support exactly i mean just to your point there's often times that we don't know right we don't maybe they went and sought help from the teacher on during their free period you know but we're just seeing the end result of the result of the test. And so you're absolutely right. So this is, that's what we're trying to do is to take our mind from jumping to conclusions and kind of winding it back to, hey, let's go on a little scavenger hunt and figure out what's really going on. So that takes us, what, to four now? So, yeah, so <laughs> step four. So the idea behind what, you know, asking that curious question is really listening to to, to what is the situation? Like, what, what's going on? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Right? Are, are they thinking, I, you know, I'm so stupid? And so they carry that thought with them into the test, which makes it virtually impossible to do well. You know, are they feeling in a, you know, a situation, let's say they did something with friends that you disapproved of. Well, maybe they were trying to fit in and they felt like embarrassed or humiliated if they didn't do whatever activity it was so we're trying to get at like the what's the what's really going on inside of them what was the root cause of the behavior that we're seeing that we don't like and once we figure that out from step three step four is validating those feelings like hey you know well it, it, you know it makes sense you might feel pressured and overwhelmed um, if your day was completely packed with sports and music and theater and all, you know, all these academics, you know, that you just didn't even feel like you had time to study, 
Right, so we want to jump in and normalize whatever's going on inside of them, however they're feeling. You know, hey, it makes sense you were smoking pot. If you were with your whole group of friends and they were all doing it and you felt like embarrassed not to join in, you know, anyone your age would want to fit in with their friend group. Right, so we're not condoning the behavior. Oh, I'm so glad you got a D on the test or great job smoking, you know, marijuana. That's not what we're doing, but what we're doing is trying to um, normalize for them whatever feeling was going on inside of them because it's that, it's whatever they're thinking about and feeling inside that motivates them or causes the behavior that we're seeing. And so we want to get to this point where they feel like, oh, you know, dad gets me, mom gets me. They understand what what I'm going through and how I'm feeling, and they're on my side and they're on my team. And, And so that's the idea behind step four. And when we do that, that's what creates the connection. And that's that's really the golden nugget that we need here is that connection. And then we can jump to the correction or, you know, changing the behavior. So once, once we, you know, help them feel like there's nothing wrong with them, you know, they're not a bad person, <laughs> they're, you know, they're not alone, we understand how they're feeling, then we can, you know, ask a question like, well, you know, if you're in that situation again, what do you want to do differently? Right? So asking another question that helps them solve the problem um, because they want to solve their own problem and they don't want you to tell them what to do. And as a parent, we want them to build those problem solving skills, those life skills, because they, they need their, they, they need the practice and the safety of your home of looking at a situation, realizing what the problem is and coming up with some solutions to try to, um, minimize the, you know, the outcomes. And so that's really our opportunity in that step five to meet, to be thinking about, okay, you know, um, what advice might I give if I'm given the opportunity? And I think to your point earlier, Mark, so often they surprise us and their solution on what they want to do differently is just as good as what we were thinking about, But if we don't ever give them the chance to make their brains work and come up with an idea on their own, um, and we just jump in, it not only like severs the connection, but it uh, prevents them from building the skills we want them to build so they can launch and go off to college with these tools. And it just sort of struck me there as well that it also negates that thing about the fact they feel like they have to be doing the right thing and making the right decisions. Because I think what we've what we've sort of described there is the fact that I've got some thoughts on this, you've got some thoughts on this. I understand why you did what you did, but you didn't fail by doing that. You're on a learning experience and next time you might be doing it different. So it's not like you're having to make all the right decisions in order to be an adult. It's that we can now have a conversation and we can relate on the fact that we're all doing this on a daily basis about how we want to show up on any given day. They just change a little bit as you get older, but that's what they're kind of learning. So even if they make a decision, they're thinking, "Ah, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done, but it's okay because like I say, we've got that safe environment, but also I can make that decision 
different next time and therefore i'm going to be supported on that i'm not going to be have that sort of the negative impact of kind of well you've done it once so therefore you know game over you're just a terrible teenager <laughs> you know we're, exactly. we're on this ride together and we're going to make all these decisions and we're going to sort of ebb and flow and grow with it to, to become the best people that we want to be which is what we're all trying to do whether we're teenagers at 15 or teenagers nearing at 50. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that's so powerful, right? It's like we know that intuitively as adults that, hey, we're always trying to learn and grow and look at what we've done in the past and what can we learn from that. And yet sometimes I think we forget to give our teenagers the same grace because I think instinctually what takes over um, as parents is we, we want their life to be easy, right? So when we, when we can see, oh, well, if you just do what I said, your life would be so much easier. Um, it's hard to allow for that space and to remember, oh, wait, they're on a journey too. And the goal here isn't to quote unquote, get it right the first time or perfection, right? It's, it's more, let's learn. Let's learn from what your choices were before and how might you choose differently next time? And then go test it out and try it, right? And then let's come back and talk, you know, parent to kid. And so what'd you think? How did that work? Um, you know, I love kind of using this methodology when it comes to curfews. You know, it's like, Ask them what they want their curfew to be. See if that's something that's agreeable to you. Sometimes what they suggest is agreeable and boom, you're done. There's no fight. There's no conflict. There's no battle. And sometimes if it's something that's excessive that you're not comfortable with, okay, well, just calmly state what you would prefer and, and maybe look for a compromise, like a happy medium. And then you can say, hey, we're going to try this for a week and then let's come back together and talk about like, what worked about this? What didn't work? And and we can revise from there. Yeah. So and... just to get into that space of okay, we're on a we're on a journey here, <laughs> you know, and we're you know, it's there's not perfection immediately, and we're working together as a team. And my job now that you're a teenager is to kind of be in the background guiding you, um, and at the same time allowing you to feel some ownership over your choices. And and it's that methodology that creates the connection and helps you feel close to them. And I, I think so many parents struggle. I know I did when my kids were teens of like all of a sudden I, I, I didn't feel close to them anymore. And it was really sad and upsetting. And I, I didn't want it to be that way. And so yeah. this way of this approach really um, helps you feel that connection and gives you a structure of um, knowing how to handle any conversation. Yeah. And if we go back to that kind of grade D scenario i think everything that you've just said there you can you can sort of see how all those elements would work because it's kind of you know did you want to get a d you know like you say what happened in the tests how can what would you like to do differently was it just one of those days would you, do you need a tutor do we need to would you like to speak to the school do you need us to help have that conversation Mm-hmm. what do we look like now you know would you want us to put some framework in place that's going to help you study or like I say a little bit more structure that's going to make all the difference 
and then you might get a D again, you might get a C again. Are we aiming for an A or are we actually just aiming to kind of get to a grade which is going to be thoughtful based on the fact I want to achieve this to enable me to then study X later or like say go to college or get a job or whatever it happens to be. So the purpose isn't about just doing anything for the sake of it. It's about putting things in place so that we can move into our life, whatever that happens to be, and we can support you on on that journey. And I think that really... That that kind of then, like I say, because they can take ownership then of what it is. You know, you can do what you like. I can share my experiences, but then even then, you think, oh, that's going to be helpful. But like you say, it's their journey, it's their experiences, mm-hmm. and and how you interact with that, I think, is really really key. And um, yeah, the- it, it, listening to your words there, I hope your listeners really listen to your words too, because the, the the what you were offering that you would say to your child really felt as I was listening like you were on my side, like you were on my team and this was a collaboration, um, you know, and, and that's what they're looking for. So I, yeah. I love that. I hope your listeners really listen to what you were saying because it, it feels different than, you know, the explosion of, you know, the explosions and accusations. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and I know we've both have the experience of, multiple children sounds like a terrible phrase doesn't it but more than more than one child (laughs) um yes from a parental point of view you know we're learning each time so therefore what child one gets as they go through any age going through is going to be different than child two or three or four because we have a different experience having having been through it ourselves as parents but also every child is different so therefore the journey is going to be different as well so i'm curious for, from your parental experience but also from like you say doing the coaching in that how does how does that work our sort of life cycle of different children at different ages and and the experience and how that's wrapped in of, of what you would then maybe do differently or how you would change your change your views and style as it were as is is they're all getting older yeah, yeah, it's such a good question because I think that applies to all of us. Our kids, you know, you have three, I have three. Um, they are so different, and you know, when we if we go back to what we talked about in the beginning, it's really our challenge to meet their them where they're at. Like, ask ourselves, like, what do they need from us, and how how can I provide that from them in a supportive, guiding way? Um, you know, hearing you mention that, it made me think like in my situation, uh, I parented my firstborn pretty intuitively and it worked, it worked pretty well. And, and so I thought I was a pretty good parent, (laughs) but then I tried. (laughs) I know where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I tried that approach on my second and it didn't work very well. And so I found myself like banging my head against the wall. Like, what is going on? Like, what is wrong? What am I, what am I doing that's not working this time? And so when I did go to this um, parenting program, I went to a parenting program that included um, being with my son. It was like a family program. And he went and learned things. And my husband and I learned strategies and tools. And then we would come together and learn a new way to talk. And it had such dramatic impact and change on our relationship that um, that's how I ended up getting to you know, do what I do, life coach for parents of teenagers. But what I noticed is it actually made my relationship even better with my oldest. And so although it was wonderful, um, these strategies and really being more, um, you know, just the things we've talked about, resisting the urge to just talk 
immediately when I'm, you know, getting emotionally triggered or reactive to whatever the behavior is and learning how to talk in a way that engages them and connects with them. Um, even when you have a good relationship with your child, it just makes it even stronger. So yeah, you're right. Kids are all very different, but I, I would say, yeah, some of us luck out and just parenting the way we did when they were young continues to work. And, you know, if that, if that's you, you know, all the power to you, but for the rest of us out here, <laughs> I think, uh, our kids are very different and it is helpful to learn different ways to talk to them when they become a teenager. It's, you know, this stuff's invaluable. Yeah. And it's going to, it's going to help you in all manner, all different parts of your life, isn't it? It's just going to be just, you're going to relate to people at work differently, people that you speak to generally. And, and, and I think for me, the other thing is, is you never know where any given person is on any given day. You don't know what's been said, what they're going through. And that, that's heightened as teenagers. But I think it also kind of gives you like a sense of, even if you're in the, the supermarket or whatever, you, whatever the interaction is, whether you think it's a positive one, a negative one, or you're unsure of what's happened, you don't know what's going oh. on and understanding that just really kind of helps you, I think, show up as you want to, no matter what the, what you get back. Oh, that's, that's so true. And I mean, I hear that so frequently from my clients. I mean, basically those five steps are, are they're communication skills, no matter who you're talking to. And, you know, I got off the phone last week with a client who took all these skills and, and used it, you know, on for his, with his boss, <laughs> you know, and the people who work for him, he's like, wow, like I found myself, I wasn't so angry at work and I was able to have such a, a more productive community, you know, talk with my, you know, my superior and, um, and my underlings. And, you know, I've had clients say, oh, it's helped with their spouse and it's helped with when they're talking to friends. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it is, it is com just communication skills that apply everywhere. Um, I just, my passion is to help parents with teenagers because that was when I struggled the most. But it is, I am a life coach and you're right. It's, it's all about coaching about, about life. life. <laughs> yeah, <it's okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfectly put, perfectly put. Um, yeah. And we, we talked about obviously kids in schools and grades and that sort of thing but is there something valuable about your school experience or even a teacher that you remember that had an impact and I'm always curious as to how maybe that affects on how you go about doing what you're doing in your practice now as well sort of some of those sort of maybe key key takeaways or something which you kind of think oh yeah that was impactful and I can I can make the most of that and I guess that could be positive or negative sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Great question. I mean, I think what's what's most top of mind for me is when I went and, you know, I call it going back to school, but going into this parenting program with my son. Um, and I think what I found so valuable is just I, I learned to communicate with him in new ways that stopped the conflict and stopped the battle so I could feel close to him again. And so, you know, that education is probably the most recent thing. Um, if you want me to go way back, I mean, I'm 56, so if you want me to go way back when, uh, one of the most um, impactful things that happened more on the negative side uh, in, in school, I was at a small prep school, and I had the same English teacher for 11th and 12th grade, and he really, um, the way he communicated with, I mean, I, I, 
communicated with me, humiliated me in the class, embarrassed me, left me feeling like I wasn't a good writer, um, I didn't have good ideas, I didn't know how to interpret literature, and, um, you know, it was just quite ironic, and I think it stuck with me, because when I went off to college, I went to Stanford, and the my very first year, we had to read some of the literature I had read with this teacher in English class, and the professor was up there offering a similar interpretation to the work that I had offered <laughs> in class, and I just sort of was like, uh, I just thought, you know what, I'm never going to let someone... Um, impact how I feel about myself, you know, through their words again. And I'm smart enough and I'm capable enough. And there's also, it also left me feeling like there's lots of, you know, answers. There's lots of ways to interpret literature and there's lots, lots of ways to look at life. There's lots of ways to look at parenting. Um, and there's no right or wrong, and, and, and there's never a reason to make somebody feel like they're not smart enough or capable enough. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, what advice would you maybe give yourself looking, looking back with, um, with that sort of, like, say, that maturity mindset? Yeah. Um, I think the best advice I've ever been given actually happened during coach training in the program I went through and got certified. And it was sort of a combination thing. They started with the phrase, there are no mistakes. And I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I make mistakes all the time. So do my kids. So does my husband. <laughs> you know, but then as, as we delve deeper into this um, concept. It was what was going on behind it is the thought that we're always doing the best we can with the knowledge that we currently have. And so really, we only see things as a mistake in retrospect, right? It's only after the fact when we look back on something that we think, oh, that was a mistake, um, but when we can look at it as, okay, wait, I, I, I was doing the best I could with my own internal resources, um, and to give myself a little grace and, and it almost back to our previous conversation that life is about learning mm -hmm. and a journey and it's okay to, it's actually powerful to reflect on our behavior and things we've done, whether we've yelled or, you know, we lost it on our kids. Um, and really, it's only a problem if we don't reflect on it and learn from it and try to do something different the next time. And so I just, I, I really try to keep that top of mind for myself and for my clients, because I think it's so easy as a parent to really beat yourself up and feel like, oh, I'm such a bad parent. I totally lost it on my kid. And, you know, I just want to say that and offer that as long as you recognize it, you go back, you apologize, you make amends, and you learn from what you did, um, you know, you're, you're human. Humans yeah. make mistakes. We're just, we're always, if, as long as we're continuing to grow and learn, we don't need to get stuck beating ourselves up um, like, you know, with the mindset of, oh, I really messed that up. 
So and what I, a great I thing. love that. Yeah, what a great thing to be modelling, like you say, in terms of what we're then trying to give all the support for um, our teenagers, you know, because like you say, it's such a top of mind thing to do. And if they see it and they hear it and they experience it, then that changes how they can communicate definitely kind of verbally and, but you did this, but also even if it's not even that kind of thought, it's more kind of, oh, this is what's part of life because I'm experiencing it and you know, I'm being shown this is the way as it were and and that's that that's going to be really 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 helpful yeah it helps with that internal self-talk that internal dialogue which we want to help our kids with that right we don't want them beating themselves up all the time thinking they're not smart enough they're not pretty enough they're not athletic enough right and they messed up and it's that way forever (laughs) (laughs) yeah forever yeah exactly that's a big thing (laughs) yes yeah we want to quiet those thoughts in our mind yeah for sure um is there a resource you'd like to share and this can be personal professional anything from a podcast a book video song but something you, you think is a something you'd like to share yeah i am a huge fan of eckhart tolle are you familiar with his work? I am indeed, yeah. Power of Now. Yes, yeah, and A New Earth. I just find, um, well, one, it was so it, it was so impactful when I first originally heard his words and read his book, and I find that I'm continually going back to it. And I think um, returning to those teachings of just the value of being in the present moment. And that all we really have is right now, (laughs) right? And I think so many of us, especially as parents, we, you know, ruminate on the past or just what we were talking about before. We beat ourselves up for something maybe that we said or that we did. We feel guilty. Maybe we feel ashamed. And that to recognize, okay, that already happened. (laughs) And it really doesn't do us any good or our relationship if it's with our teenager to just be dwelling on that and the, and the same thing applies to and I think this is even more common with parents we get so worried about what's going to happen in the future and we get really scared and we start going down the what if train well you know if they do that it's like this is going to happen and what if that happens and just to it's been so powerful to me to catch those thoughts and to help my clients catch those thoughts and bring themselves back into the present moment. Um, it's just very calming and grounding for ourselves. And one, one thing that I, I, I love to teach clients is, is the mantra. And I use this all the time on myself is that, you know, this is just for today, not forever right? Or another good one is they just haven't built this skill yet. You know, and it's a way to just come back to, okay, what are the facts right here, right now? And, and focus on that. And really, I find that very grounding and calming. And, you know, those are his, his teachings. And I love it. Yeah, I, I love it as well. And I think what you said so perfectly there is the fact that it's, yet or now because so often when we're thinking about teenagers it's that kind of but that's not mature enough or that's not going to serve you when you're older 
but they're not older. They are where they are now. And so all of those things that you said, you know, is what you need to do now. It's what's going to serve you now. It's going to serve us now. It's where we are now, which is all we can do. And from there, we yeah. can take the next step. So, Janine, thank you so much. It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. And um, thank you so much for sharing all of those things. And I think we got all those steps in because it's always me that kind of has these million different <laughs> thoughts which bring all those things in. And I just know for someone listening, they'll be like, but we said there were five and I can't quite remember what they were. So thank you so much for bearing with yeah. me. So I kind of we went all over the place with those things. <laughs> Fantastic. I loved so, our conversation. Yeah, oh, thank you so it. much. And, and, and you. do share where people can find out much more about you and, and, and all the things that you're offering. Oh, sure. Yes, I am. You can find me at JanineMouchoir.com. Um, J-E-A-N-I-N-E-M-O-U-C-H-A-W-A-R. Um, that's my website. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok as Janine Mouchoir Coaching. And I offer a couple free classes. So if you go to you know my website or if you want, we can link that up in the show notes for your listeners. I've got a class on um, that's called No More Battles with Your Teen. And another one is How to Talk So Your Teen Listens. Um, and so, yeah, if your listeners want to check that out, it's a it's another great resource to helping them when they're parenting their teen. Oh, fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And like I said, we'll have those things in the in the show notes to click straight through as well. So, yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much indeed. And, and really, oh. really appreciate your time. Mark, thank you for having me. It's really been an honor and I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope your listeners found a lot of value. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.